friends. Welcome to The Sound Barrier, Northeast State's official podcast. This is your host, April Allen and Tom Wilson, and today we're going to be talking about ChatGPT and AI. What does it mean? Is it beneficial? Is it going to hurt us? We have just the person joining us today to explain and answer all of our questions. David Blair, who is an instructor at um, in our technologies division and a professional in the field of computers, sensors, and programming. Welcome to The Sound Barrier, David. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Happy to have you. We have lots of questions. Um, so you have a background as a faculty member at Northeast States in the private sector of technology. But before we get into the hot topic, chat, GBT, and AI, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, so I started back in 1981 as Dover Elevator in manufacturing. So I started in electronics, and that primarily came from my dad because he was an electrical engineer. And he has, he was a ham operator, which is those that don't know is years ago ham used to be a big deal. So mm-hmm. uh, operate a ham on ham general class license and so forth. And so I I used to hang out in his ham shack as a kid, and he taught me electronics. So oh, I was cool. uh, self taught so to speak along with him, and uh, got a job at uh, R and D department at uh, Dover Elevator. Okay. And then that soon led into computer science because part of that is, of course, uh, programming. And so pretty soon I went into PLC programming and, and assembly language and et cetera, Fortran 77, went through all the languages you can imagine, and then uh, ended up uh, going back to computer science, uh, getting a computer science degree, and then ended up going back into the industry again, <laughs> and then has, have been working in computer science ever since. And so then I went, I love teaching, so I went into teaching. And so that, that's what led me here. I, okay. I, I taught some at ETSU, and I came here full-time in 2014, I believe it was. And so, that's, and so I still do side work. I, still, I teach full-time, but I still do side contract work for companies. And the last company I worked for or had to contract with was Tesla, actually. Oh, wow. And they have a, a big 18-wheeler that's coming out, right? Nice. So it's a big truck, and they have a paint line in, in uh in Texas that I did the uh, programming for. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now you have bragging rights. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I helped build that. <laughs> that's right. I got pictures. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You have proof. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. My dad has his ham license. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so I know what you're talking about when you say ham. Yeah, it used to be a big thing, but now it's not quite so big a mm-hmm. thing. We're glad that you're here. Glad that you're sharing your knowledge and information with our students and now us and our listeners. Um, so what types of information technology are taught here at Northeast State? Well, it's a, it's a really broad field. We have systems administration, and so that's, that's uh, one of four. And so it's more of a hands-on uh, support, learn support, as well as data center uh, activities. And then there's uh, networking, which, of course, is the backbone of, of everything we're doing right now, talking and, and uh, the networks connecting everything together. And so uh, then there's cyber, which is across, actually more of a cross-cutting concern. That's, that's across all disciplines. And then there's programming, which is what I do. And so I'm a programmer. That's what I've always done, except for the electronics part, which mm-hmm. I've always dabbled in as well. And, of course, programming rides on top of all of that. That's You build applications to do things, you know, like like uh, recording studio software and stuff like that. So, But it's across, uh, I mean, every discipline you can imagine. Is programming like, what's the difference between programming and coding? Because you hear 
everybody does coding now. Is yeah, there a difference? And that's that's interesting because they are interchanged. So you, you hear the talk programming, software engineering, I'm a I'm a coder, you know, and they're all really the same thing. It's a discipline where you, you create a software design and implement that design. And that's code you know, the coding part of it. And so it's 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 interchanged. It all means about the same thing. Hmm. And what um what, what's kind of the most misunderstood thing about programming or coding when, when you kind of put those words out there? What's what, what like first year students who are just like entering these programs? What, what's maybe something a little bit misunderstood or something that kind of surprises them? Well, I think the main thing, honestly, uh, and this is something I encourage a lot, is they need to shadow some a professional to see actually what they do. But the main, I think, the misunderstood piece of it is you think. People think a programmer is somebody that sits in a dark room in a corner and <laughs> with a hoodie on and doing tapping out things all day long. But that's that's as far away from the truth as you can get. So a lot of the a programming activity as a programmer or a software engineer, whatever you want to call it, a developer, um, a lot of what you do is interacting with everyone else in the company or your customers. So you spend a lot of time in meetings trying to understand and, and figure out the requirements for a particular application or particular whatever it is you're doing. And then you have to have, you know, a lot of the design work, a lot of stuff goes on before you actually get to the coding part. If you go straight to coding, which people think that's what you do, just start tapping out code, that's as far away from the truth as you can get. Hmm. There's a lot of planning that goes on to build a stable product. The term artificial intelligence, AI, there's been movies about it, it's talked about, it's, it's certainly a hot topic that's been thrown around for several years. What is artificial intelligence just at its most basic level? Yeah, so artificial intelligence has actually been around for a long time. It's just recently uh, because of neural networks and being able to artificially look at, uh, act like a human thinking, it's gained more traction. But I mean, artificial intelligence, is, is it can be considered just a, a conditional statement, just a, if this is true, do that. If it's false, do the other. So it's almost like a flow chart. Hmm. And, the, and the flow charts are a big part of programming. It used to be, it's, and now that's changed a lot with UML, but unified modeling language, but it's still a way of thinking of, to mimic what a person would actually do in the same instance or the same circumstance. Hmm. So if you see a red light, you stop the car. If the red light's green, you you proceed forward. Hmm. Well, now with all of the with the, the ability to to reason or at least simulate reasoning with a with a program, then we have things like all, you know autonomous vehicles and and all all sorts of things. Gaming, you know, is another big one. And everything, the weather. I mean, think about the weather and how you predict the weather. Hmm. So you have to consume a massive amount of data and then try to make sense of that data. And hmm. that's what AI does, is trying to make sense of this data. Without the data, AI is sort of useless because there's no way to train it. And so AI is really good at looking at patterns and finding patterns. And so that's what it does. That's what it does best. And that's the reason it's used now more and more. Uh, and so back to the weather. And so if, if you have years and years of data you can pump into it, then it can predict what's going to happen with the current weather patterns today from yesterday's weather. So what is the most misunderstood or misrepresented thing you hear or see about artificial intelligence? 
I think that the main thing is people are scared of it. I yeah. mean, people are, they don't understand it for the mm-hmm. most part. And, and so they're scared of it and rightfully so. And I think there is a, a reason to be concerned, but it's not something that's going to, I don't think, you know, it's not going to take over the world. You know, it's not going to kill us all, but it's definitely. Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely going to be something of concern and that we need to now get ahead of it. Uh, policy-wise, and mm-hmm. and and those sorts of things, but um, as far as misunderstanding it, I think it's just a matter of people are scared and don't really understand it, how you can ask it a question and it gives you a reasonable answer. Right. So just those sorts of things. So how does it do that? Like it just. Right. So it, there again, it's trained to understand language. And so it understands how to put a sentence together. Then you train it on. I mean, it, and you also have, for example, there's a there's an AI out there called Dolly. who's built by the same company that builds uh, ChatGPT. And so uh, it paints a painting for you. You just tell it, you know, I want a painting of a spaceman in a circus or something. I mean, it's something ridiculous. But it knows it's looked at enough paintings and it's trained and it understands that if you tell it and that the whole communication back and forth with it is the, the, the reason you have chat in front of GPT because it's, it's meant to be a conversation. You ask it a question, it gives you an answer that you can refine that. Ask another question, it gives you a more refined answer. And that goes on and on until you get what you want out of it. And so because it understands those patterns and what's been trained on, then it knows how to give you an answer, a reasonable answer. Sometimes it's not too good. So it's not, 100, it's not foolproof because mm-hmm. I fooled it. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, so I, you, it can't be trusted 100%, but it's a great partner. It's a great okay. partner to ask a question. It's just like having somebody beside of you that might be domain-specific, have a lot of knowledge in that, whatever you're doing, and you ask it a question. And it's like, okay, well, what about this? And you keep going further and further. So how did you fool it? Oh, well, <laughs> you can, so there's, there's several ways you can. So it's depending on how they're built. And you may have heard some of these, like Microsoft built one, that um, it would give, like people would try to make it say bad things. Mm. And so you can try to fool it that way and say, so lead it in the conversation of maybe where it shouldn't go. Now the chat GPT has some guards in it, which I'm glad. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of things out there, a lot of people that say, well, it told me to go kill myself, for example. And that was a, supposed to have happened. Oh, my. And so, uh, but those, that's the reason I'm saying the policy needs to be mm-hmm. set where at some point you have to, you know, stop it. Right. And those, those things, while they're scary, it's not a big concern because it, it, it will get fixed. It's like any other technology that's come along. We have to understand it and then learn how to use it. Uh, yeah, it's it's certainly popular. It's being it's used being used to write term papers, mm-hmm. TPS reports. There's certainly no secret of that, among other things. Um, and now Google came out with uh, their own version called Claude, I believe, and they've invested a very very large amount of money in that. When these things come out, and you, who, first of all, who owns the patent on it? I guess Google owns will own the patent on Claude. Who are the, I can't remember what company came up with ChatGPT, but they own the patent on that software, correct? Right. And so I'm, I'm not, so that's a really good question. Uh, I'm not sure what you can patent with it because, I mean, so, that's, that's very difficult. Uh, how do, so think about this. So if AI, just pick one, it doesn't matter. Any AI engine has been trained, then who owns 
the copyrights, for example, on an image it was trained on, if it's a facial recognition. So at what point is it, so if it's trained on everything I've written and everything you've written and everything any other author or any other writer has written to train it, then shouldn't I get something for being able to train it? You know, that's the reason I don't, I, so there's the um, Turnitin software, for example, mm -hmm. which checks students for cheating. Right. You know, to put it straight, I mean, blunt. I never used it because I didn't think it was fair to turn in students' work that's kept forever to be compared with other students' work. That's a copyright violation, in my opinion. And so that. those sorts of things need to be sorted out. And so a, any AI uh, that is trained on things, then do they have the rights to, to claim any ownership on it other than the algorithm that it uses? I don't know that you can even do that. How do you, how do you copyright or own a patent on an on a algorithm? I mean, that's, that's a vapor, so it doesn't mm -hmm. exist. It's, it's a, a way of going, and that's like saying, I'm going to own a patent on walking out this door. It's just a way you do things, right? You get up, you walk out. Yeah. And so those things, I think, especially with AI, and they, they've, that's been fought for years on how you can protect your, your uh, intellectual properties. But uh, policy is a big deal, and we need to develop those policies, not just the company policies, but actual, you know, or the, whoever is going to set these things, whether state or federal, need to make policies on mm -hmm. them. And, and that, that will help things a lot. Does the U.S. Copyright Office, because it's, it's intellectual property, how much kind of involvement should they have in kind of doing the policies about this is what is acceptable, at least for the written word? Right. Well, I guess the visual word, too, or the visual. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because I can ask it to, uh, to create a painting like Monet, for example, hmm. and it will, it will do it. I mean, it's amazing how wow. just the, the uh, nuances of a painting stroke can be copied by this thing. So it had to obviously look at it a lot and train it. So it's sort of stealing that mm -hmm. that information for itself. Mm -hmm. And so as and I always thought, well, as soon as they're monetized, then something has to be in there to control it. And so the problem is it's already monetized right now. If you go back to GPT, which is growing like crazy, every day you go out there, the site's changed, and now they have an offering where you subscribe to it and use it. And all of them are moving to that subscription-based because they know that it's so useful. And if you think about it, one of the main things in programming that's, that's beneficial for, uh, to develop stable code, a stable code base, is have multiple eyes look at the code. So there's, there's a development um, paradigm that you have, it's called pair programming. And you have two sets of eyes on one computer. While mm -hmm. you're working, someone's watching you work and vice versa. Well, this can do that. And so it's, you think about, a, a um, let's say, a search engine like Google, Google Search or Bing or whatever. Well, I can type in and search for how do I create an API, a RESTful API. And it'll come back with, well, you can go look at this one. So these links you go have to pour through. But what ChatGPT and these other AIs can do is actually give you the information and say, well, here's an example, and it's it's pretty close. I've tested this, hmm. and so and that leads into students cheating and so forth, because okay. that's another big thing, right? Right. So, that oh, yes. was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't mean to jump ahead if you no, have that fine. question, no, but you're fine. but this that's a big concern, and that's a concern I raised at this school, and a lot of folks mm -hmm. are raising that concern. 
And there, there again, it's do you embrace it or you try to, like New York City, actually block the access to that in their, in their public schools so you can't get on it. Well, that's not, I mean, they're going to get on it when they get home. So True. Uh, how do you protect against it? Well, you just change the way that you're teaching where you anticipate they're going to do it. Right now, they can use a, a Google search engine to find the answers the same way they can use a GPT. So there's no difference there. It's just it's a little bit more clever, and it's the answers it gives are better. And it's more specific to how you ask it. So a lot of it is learn how to ask the right question. Hmm. Well, that's a skill. Right. That's a great skill to mm-hmm. have. So I encourage my students to actually use it. And so what I'm doing is flipping the class. And instead of worrying about them going out you know, cheating or whatever you want to call it, using the resources, then I, I do videos and, and things where they look at it offline or at home or wherever. And then in class, I watch them do things so I can see them actually doing what they need to know how to do. And that way, I can gauge them and grade them that way, rather grading work that's turned in. I don't know who built this thing. Because hmm. AI built it. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. potentially could build it. But they need to know how to use those resources. As, and so I don't, I don't mean to ramble on and go out off a side no, road, but no. the, the thing is, is if you think about it, when you're you and you're the same way that I am, I'm sure, in industry, then a lot of my day, or not a lot of it, but at least part of my day is trying to find out how to do a particular thing that I don't know how to do. And so you learn how to find the resources and use your resources in order to, to find that thing, whatever it is that we're looking for. And then we incorporate that. We do that. I do that almost daily. That is a good way to look at it. You know, teach them how to use it and use it correctly. But back to the how do you monitor it and the whole copyright thing. Because I know it can, like, write a paper. Mm-hmm. On you give it a topic and it writes a paper. Students can submit that and say that it's theirs. Yes. How would you suggest that be embraced? Well, so that's that's... So, for example, I ask it to write uh, lots of things, a song. And so, uh, (laughs) Demise of the Whistle Pig, I I ask it to write that song. (laughs) And it is is amazing. (laughs) Dave, for the folks at home, tell us us what a whistle pig is. (laughs) So, you have trouble with groundhogs, and that's that's what you got. It's a whistle pig. I got you. And so... uh, So anyway, uh, but it, it did a good job, and it, it wrote it, and it, you could actually use it for your lyrics if you wanted to. And so um, I don't know how to monitor that. So if I produce that, so if I ask it to do it again, it would write it differently. And I ask it to do mm-hmm. it again, it would write it differently. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to know. And so ChatGPT has a, a, a page that you can check to see, well, did, did an AI write this? And it failed miserably. I, I sent it stuff that I had written personally, huh. and it said I was I was copying AI. Oh wow! And so that so it does it doesn't work at all. <laughs> and so I don't know how you monitor that. That's that's so I, there again is sort of like I have more questions than answers mm-hmm. for those things. But it's something that needs to be talked about. Right. It's something that we need to discuss. The I mean the if you have if you assign something for someone to go away and come back and give you the product, there's no way to really test it to see if they actually wrote it, other than to watch them do it, other than to ask them questions about it. 
And it's, True. It's, you know, it's like the cliff notes used to be. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to read a book in school. You go get the cliff notes. You come to school and you take the test and hopefully you pass over in the cliff, uh, cliff notes. So ultimately you have to rely on some, uh, I think, the person themselves. Are you? Do you really want to learn something or are you just here to get a degree? Right. And that's going to show itself after they get out. But we still have to find a way to measure that. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know about some of them. That's that's a conversation like we probably need to have with the English department and with history department that does that sort of thing. Because I can write a paper with it, and it's it's amazingly talented to come up with, with wow. reasonable answers and reasonable. And in fact, it will come back with something that's so so good, you have to dumb it down. Hmm. right? So I can ask it to create a paper that's written from a, f- a perspective of a five-year-old. I mean, not five, but fifth grader. And it will do it. So the sentences get much shorter. The words get shorter. Huh. And, huh. And, well. and, and so try that sometime if you have a, a, G, a, GP, a chat GPT account. is ask it to write something it, It's as a, as a scientist or something like that. It's a huh. doctorate level. And it will do it. And you say, no, dumb it down. This, this. So that's that chat back and forth. And so you can hone in, and so students learn to use this, and they will. They already are using it. And, for example, so I teach a database course, and in it we do something with some, a language called SQL. And so I say, I went to it and took an example of my final exam for a, a script that, that the students have to write, and I asked the chat GPT to write that script for me. It came back with something that was pretty good, but it wasn't exact. And all I had to do was give it more information. I'd say, no, the table is called this, the database is called this, the relationship between the tables is this. And it came back with the exact answer that, wow. that for the for the final exam. Hmm. So how do you how do you combat that? Right. That's a good question. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Other wow. than watch them actually code. Watch them actually right. produce it. Hmm. Is any chat GPT or, or any AI tool, it, it sounds like it's it's really only as good as the people programming it and the standards they have of what they're doing. Because like you said, it, it AI just sits there unless data and if an if then proposition is given to it by the people. Mm-hmm. So how just from your just from your experience just teaching, what what kind of standards or what kind of um, uh, well, yeah, I guess the standard or the kind of hope you have for the people doing the data input for it. That's a so that's a fascinating question because it's only as good as the programmers that build it. Now it gets smarter and smarter as it's used. Just like Chat GPT, every question is asked, it gets a little smarter because it's trained by people every day. But think about who programs it? Are they all white males? Is the are the answers going to be biased because of what these hmm. people who give it information, the types of information they give it? Is hmm. it going to be uh, sexist? Will it be, you know, any anything you can imagine? Right. Because of the, who's in that main space? Who hmm. does the main programming? And so that's 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 a big deal. And that's something that we have to figure out. And I don't know the answer to that. How do you make sure that the way I look at something is going to be totally different than the way you look at something? Right. Just just by the mere fact that you're a female and I'm male. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be really cautious about the answers and what we tell people with these AIs. Where do human beings 
an IT professional fit in the future of artificial intelligence programming and management? Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a short answer. I had no clue. Okay, that's fair. But the but we, we do have to figure out how to use it and embrace it because if not, it's just like any other technology going, you know, we were talking about before going going back to Henry Ford and the you know the industrial you know the industrial revolution and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. We had to change the way we work and live. Will it replace jobs? Maybe. Did the calculator replace accounting jobs? Maybe I don't know, but they learned there's plenty of accounting jobs out there now. True. So it's just a matter of we just have to refocus. I mean, just like earlier, I was talking about having a pair programmer. Well, why not have the you know that that tool? as a resource there to help us write better code, help us write better things. Will it also, you know, first you got to also go to the bad part, the dark side. Mm -hmm. So could we, these robots that we're building now, like Spot, I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about or not, but anyway, it's a robot that looks like a dog, right? So why, or is it, will it be used in in war? Will it be used Mm -hmm. for bad things? Mm -hmm. Well, of course it will. That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, I mean, there's not an option. We are already using that AI in war, along with with, uh, robots. Mm -hmm. They're called drones. I mean, that happens. You hear about it every day over in uh, Ukraine, you know. So these sorts of things are happening now. And how we deal with it in the future, I don't know. But we do need to have those conversations, just like this conversation. Right. Very true. Yeah, that's kind of also a follow-up. Uh, we're talking about the standards of, of the programmers. At what point do, well, I guess who sets the, who ends up setting those standards? Do you want programmers who are going to program things that are highly questionable to, to like humanity in general or that are just flat-out untrue or wrong or, or can be provably not true? And, and the thing is, well, are these things going to be accepted as true because... Chat GPT hmm. told me they were. Where, where do? You, how does that safeguard get built? Do you see it in the? Yeah, so it can't be by programmers. That's too close. Mm-hmm. It's just like a company monitoring themselves. That mm-hmm. doesn't work. You got to have a, some independent or some group of folks that have nothing to do with the software itself to say that's not right. That's not good. We have to set boundaries and do these things mm-hmm. this way. I don't know what that looks like, but it has to be as diverse as we could possibly get it. All colors of folks, all males, females, everything you can put in the mix has to be in there to make these decisions. And it can't be the folks that build the things, mm-hmm. even though they need to be diverse as well. So what is hum- what is our role, You know, humanity's role now um, in a world operated by AI? Your keyword that you've said I've picked up on is embrace it, mm-hmm. which is you know a good way to look at it instead of be afraid of it, um, because it's here whether or not yeah. we like it or don't like it. Absolutely. Um, but what else would you suggest? Well, so I mean, immediately folks go to iRobot the movie, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've seen that or not, but it's with Will Smith in it, and so the robots basically were taking over the world because they. These assume because of what we do as humans, they saw is not useful because we cause war. We do things that are mean. We do all this other stuff. So they took over and was going to try to take over the world by killing everybody. And, and so that doesn't work either. So, right. <laughs> even though that's as right. far out as that goes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Doing what they said. There. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so I, th- I think we do just have to embrace it and try to understand, just like anything else. A cal- I mean, I, I use that silly uh, example, but a, a calculator, you know, does that did that harm us? Well, no, not really. Do we estimate like we used to be able to between two numbers? You know, I add two and two and you get six. Is that the right answer? Or do you just write it down? So you have to consider the what it's telling you and is it, mm-hmm. is it real? I, I'm not sure other than uh, just try to try to understand it as much as we can, have policymakers do the, their work and also have uh, some sort of guidance. I don't know if that's the right word for the companies that build these things, for Google and mm-hmm. for OpenAI, which is builds as chat GPT uh, or Bing, Microsoft or whoever is building these things. Then there has to be something in place that they can show us this is how we built it, and we did use diversity a lot. We did use things that help safeguard against someone getting told the wrong thing or or bad things, however you define bad. And there again, how do you define bad? I don't know. How do you define love? I mean, how do you define any of those words? Because code has to be defined. It can't mm-hmm. think. It can't reason on its own. So you have to tell it how to reason, so to speak, even though it can't reason. Is that kind of an extension into the sci-fi world of, oh, the Skynet is going to start thinking and feeling? and Exactly. So that, that's a bit of an unfair extension people make for it right now. That's still in the, in the fiction. Right. It is totally fiction. But will we ever get there? I don't know. You know, maybe. We're moving at light speed right now. I mean, the technology is, has this insatiable thirst or hunger to move faster and faster and faster. And so where do we end up? I don't know. It's, it's it, your imagination. And right now, it's not near smart enough to be able to think through things like that on its own. How does it determine a good and bad on its own? It can't. It doesn't understand that. You can look at something and see that it's a person. It looks at something and it might see a sock. You know, <laughs> it do, it do, it's, other than just knowing the shapes and it mm-hmm. can try to figure out where eyes are and that sort of thing. But you can fool it. There's lots of ways you can fool it. I don't know where we'll end up with this thing. I, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I like to see where we end up. Now you said it can paint a picture. It can basically paint a Monet. Mm-hmm. Um, is it advanced for, far along where you can do just dead digital photographs or maybe movie clips and say, "Hey, make me a movie." Yeah, absolutely. It can. It can. Wow. Mm. There's something called a deep uh, fake. Deep fake. Okay. Yeah. So that's where it takes like Tom Cruise's face and puts on another actor. Wow. And it can create all this actually virtually. So it doesn't even need an actor there. It can create the whole thing virtually. And so it's pretty good. Is it perfect? No. But it's it's pretty good, pretty stinking good. Huh. And so if, if you look at some of those, um, then you really question yourself. And now when you see a video, you see, or when I see a video, or I see a picture, an image, then I have to question, is this real? There's none of this, you know, the proofs, you know, I've got a picture of this. Well, no, that's not proof. And so, yeah, they, it can fake, it can, it can take my, and I uploaded my own image to Dolly, which is the, the one that does the paintings and that sort of thing. Right. And it created th- people that sort of look like me. And so it created a whole host of people from me. Hmm. But it, they look like they were cousins, or they look like they were brothers, <laughs> or they, you know. And so it was really bizarre. Wow. But it's a lot of it's. I just got a kick out of it. It's, it's almost addictive. You get in there and start loading stuff, and it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> 
So my thought was when you were talking about, you know, they just took Tom Cruise's face and put it on something else. Is it going to create a mentality to where we question everything? I think, I think it will. Yeah. I think it has to. Yeah. And we should. Right. But at the same time, you don't, I mean, I feel like it can hurt trust. Absolutely. People establishing trust yeah. with companies, with each other, with Absolutely. work. And so even now we don't know what's true. I mean, you know, you, I mean, look at what's going on now with the media. Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it true or not? I don't know. They're right. telling me it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, so you yeah. really got to step back and and I mean, maybe maybe everyone needs to take a minor in philosophy or something to understand. You really got to question everybody mm-hmm. and everything. Is it true or not? I don't know. I don't know how we make those determinations in the future. Right. And absolutely, people's going to question that. Mm-hmm. So can it take any information that's on the internet and use it to, you know, answer any of these mm-hmm. chats? Yep. So like if somebody posted something on Facebook, it could take whatever they posted and include it in their story or whatever they're... Yeah. So potentially, yes. So that, how do we safeguard against that? Well, that has to be some... There's somebody... People will do things that they're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's the reason we have jails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, but the thing is, is how do you safeguard against it? Right. I don't know. I mean, we have hackers right now that's, that try to break in and mm-hmm. steal things and steal your bank account information, whatever. Right. So they do bad things all the time. I don't know how to safeguard against that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they are capable of doing whatever you could do physically. Could you log into Facebook and go look at somebody and steal their site, steal their images, steal their person? Yeah. Yeah, and people do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've got a Facebook request or even on Facebook, but mm-hmm. I do all the time. I get Facebook requests from people. I know it's not them because right. I'm already friends with them. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, AI can do that a lot quicker and a lot better than we can. I guess through the course of technology, uh, from computers and even on back in the, into in the Industrial Revolution, yes, all this technology came along, but human beings, the, I guess the human brain maybe advanced and advanced along with it. Um, do you think that's going to just continue with AI and just with, well, all, all things information technology driven? Yeah. Um, do you think that, that that trend is going to continue as it has over the centuries? I think it will. It's a lot. So computers are still a lot dumber than we are. They just think really, I mean, they just do things really quick. And it seems, it, it seems like they're really smart, but they're really just pretty stupid. <laughs> but... Uh, we're way far ahead of computers as far as our minds. And we, we haven't even reached, I don't think, the boundaries of what we can do. And so mm-hmm. the further they, the technology gets along, yeah, I think the further along we progress as well. And as things abstract away from us, especially we can think more abstractly. So think about the way coding has come along over the years. Years ago, I did actually assembly language. I've, I've actually done machine language coding, which is all zeros and ones. And then you, so you abstract away from that more and more and more until you can have a language you can almost speak and have it do things. And, and in fact, you can. But uh, the more abstract away, the more we perceive ourselves as being smarter and smarter and smarter because we don't have to grapple with the very tiny, minute details of things now. So, yeah, I think, I think we'll, we'll progress along with technology. Okay. What... Uh what was working at Tesla like? Oh. <laughs> if you can talk about well, that, because we uh, we have a we have a deep 
our long-term goal is to get Elon Musk on the sound barrier. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. If he can just yeah. go jet in over here, Tristan's airport, come on over, right. be gone. I don't know if that'll right. happen because he's kind of busy these days. He's a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So what's, uh, what, was that? what was that like? Well, it was, it was pretty cool. So the, it, it, there was some interesting – so I've, I've done a lot of contract work in the past for different companies. And this was actually through another company, but I was still working with Tesla. And so, uh, and with some other engineers. And so the thing is, is I would ask a question and sometimes you would think that they would be all over it, you know, they'd get me an answer this afternoon. And it was sometimes two weeks before I could get an answer out of them. So hmm. I don't know if I trust going up in one of their rockets or not. But, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they do, I mean, it was, it was just like any other company. They, they're, they were very smart and they, they do things uh, good. And or the best they can, I guess. But Elon Musk, while he's he's in the news, he's not. He doesn't have his hands. And I mean, those those are really smart engineers and scientists that that are doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he gets the credit for it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But uh, but he does have vision, and I, I appreciate that. But yeah, working for working. So it was a it was a paint booth, a long paint booth. It was all automated, so robots in there doing all the painting. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote the code to handle the mixture of, of the robots along with all of the other computer systems around it, right? And so a lot of the work I did was through uh, with other contractors doing that work. So it wasn't really working for Tesla, so to speak. It was mm-hmm. more of working with the folks that Tesla had hired to come in to do the, do the work. Yeah, and I ask that to ask you this, that because we've got... Obviously, students here at Northeast State who are in computer science programming, uh, a variety of things, and they're going to be on the front lines out there working for these companies, doing this programming, creating this this technology, and and uh, hopefully moving civilization forward. Beyond just the AI and the Chat GPT, what what do you um, what do you want them to understand? What do you want them to leave uh, the college? with when they get that degree and they've got this this knowledge that they have gotten from these classes what do they need to know moving on into that workforce yeah so i I think one of the main things uh, and it took me a little while to realize this i guess but um, when you come out of out of school you have a toolbox full of tools now those tools are virtual tools or how to program Mm -hmm. and how to do things uh with the with the systems or system but without something to build, you know, if you have a toolbox without something to build, then you don't have anything to do. So you have to apply that to something. So those domain, the domain knowledge you gain. So I've always been in manufacturing, so I know that domain very well. But it could be applied to anything. So somebody that's interested in biology, for example, then that would be a good tool to have to do your research in biology or do whatever you're going to do in biology. Same way with medicine, same way with any domain you can think of. And so it's more of not, you, you're not learning computer science for computer science sake because you, you don't have anything to show for it. You have to have something to apply it to. And that's the thing I think that sometimes would draw more people in because there is a big shortage of computer science folks. So if, if they realize that they could actually do something pretty cool that they're, they're excited about, if you go learn these tools, it's just like, you, I mean, if you look at the, the software that, that this is probably being recorded on, then if you're interested in that, soft, that domain, then why not learn some computer science to help you 
forward that some, you know, help you get into that area. So the, just learning, uh, learning computer science for itself, you need to know something else to apply to. So has ham radio gone digital or is it still? <laughs> it's digital. It is gone digital. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that sad or is, is that just a sign of the times? It's, it's sort of sad. I mean, oh. you like that. I like that. So I've been in music all my life. I've played in lots of bands and that sort of thing. So I love music. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, is if you're a music, uh, so I, I came up with with all analog equipment. Everything had tubes, for example. Everything was oh yes, you know. So to me now, even now, rather than buy something that has all it's all digital and it has these things that can mimic different amplifiers and you can add them together and subtract them and do all this stuff like that, I would still rather have just an old school. You know, I, I miss that the warmth of the the sound and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's a there's a sad part of <laughs> seeing. <laughs> I mean, my dad used to sit like I was talking about earlier. He used to sit in his little ham shack with five. He he used to love to see how far he could reach yeah. with just a key, having a Morse code, mm-hmm. and five watts, and that was his deal. Mm-hmm. Don't turn it over five watts. Let's see how far uh-huh. we can get tonight. You know, how far did he get? Well, he would, he was depending on the the atmosphere and mm-hmm. how, how much bounce he could get off the atmosphere. Then, so, I mean, he could go all the way across the United States oh, from, wow. from our house in Bristol, all the way to like Seattle or someplace like that, or even up in Canada and that, those sorts of things. That's so, neat. Wow. so those are just the cool things that you know you could do it with this, mm-hmm. but you could go buy it and you know push a button and have it. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I miss those sorts of things, but I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> so youngsters probably could care less about those sorts of things mm. it's like the old lps you know i don't know if oh yeah you know, now they're coming back because of a lot of the nostalgia and part of that nostalgia was me when i was a kid looking at album covers you know mm-hmm. while it played i read everything about that album mm. and you know, whoever's on it who was the musicians on it and all that stuff so i knew all that now it's it's totally different. Right, folks don't really keep up with that so much. They they care more about going to YouTube and finding those things and you know playing them or whatever. However they do things with with I don't know how a band now even makes money, but how they uh, distribute their songs among people. I don't know how that's done unless it's on TikTok or <laughs> on something some meet social media mm-hmm. like that. So it's that's a I don't know. I'm a brave old. new world. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Hmm. So I like to ask a random question. Huh? So, completely off the wall, if you were a type of candy, what type of candy would you be and why? Wow. <laughs> well, probably something really sweet. Okay. Because I just love sweets. Yeah. Not that I'm sweet. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to ask my wife about that one. We will. But, <laughs> but I, I love, you know, anything that's sweet, I love mm-hmm. it. Hot chocolate, you know, it's loaded up with marshmallows. Oh, I don't nice. know what kind of candy. I also like hot food, so maybe uh, Tabasco as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so chocolate and Tabasco, huh? There you go. Which is actually Sweet and spicy. To me, it's a great mix. But there you go. Yeah, I think that's where I'd land. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask Patricia what she thinks. Yeah, yeah. do that. Go up there after the show. <laughs> yeah. Get the read on that. Okay, well, David, thank you so much for, uh, for being here and cluing us in about 
AI, chat GPT, and certainly a brave new world here going forth for us, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But exciting, exciting times for, uh, for students at Northeast State getting into this field and certainly exciting times, uh, well, for the world. How you choose to characterize those exciting times are purely up to you. <laughs> this has been uh, yet another episode of The Sound Barrier. Uh, we thank our guests. As always, we're coming at you from the uh, Entertainment Technology Studios here in the Technical Education Complex on the Bluntville campus. We thank the Entertainment Technology crew, always doing a stellar job to make this podcast happen. Tune in and listen to us on thesoundbarrier.net or thesoundbarrier.com. That's right, thesoundbarrier.net, thesoundbarrier.com. And if you're interested in getting into computer science, learning about artificial technology and intelligence, and just programming computers, go to northeaststate.edu. It's northeaststate.edu. We're going to be enrolling for summer and fall classes soon, so check us out. Until the next time, this is The Sound Barrier.